And welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Obviously, this is the host, Eddie Cohn. Really excited that you're listening to today's episode. I'm freaking excited that you're going to be listening because you get the chance to listen to a conversation that I had with Jimmy Nico from the band Ours. I think I spoke to him on Monday this week. This will be a quick intro. Don't worry, we'll get to the conversation really soon. But I do like to present some quick intros. And one of my friends was sort of like a couple of months ago, well, you know, why do you do these intros? Just, I just want to hear the conversation. And the reality is, is that I try to put my conversation into a little bit of context, you know, who this person is, how do I know the person that I'm about to speak to? Cause of course, some of you may know Jimmy, but the crazy thing is, is that a lot of people out there still have no idea who Jimmy is, or they've never heard of the band ours. And so I was sort of trying to think about how to present my conversation with Jimmy. And the reality is, is that sometimes words just don't work. Language fails in certain situations because the talent, the passion, the songwriting that Jimmy and his band, ours, Encompass, is really beyond any words that I can use to describe how talented he is. And, you know, I think of, I throw these singers out there, like Robert Plant, Steven Tyler, Chris Cornell, Jeff Buckley, Philip Bailey. I mean, these are some of the best male vocalists of all time. And Jimmy has the same talent. Obviously, he has his own unique vibe, his own unique style, but his skills, his mastery of singing, his performances as the lead singer of ours, or whether he's doing solo work just on his own, is unparalleled. It's, it's unlike anything you've ever heard. And I remember hearing his album, Distorted Lullabies, for the first time. This was almost probably like 16, 17 years ago. And I was just sort of like, what the fuck is this? This is crazy. One of my friends, as I was in the studio recording my own music, presented or played this record for me. I was just like blown away. Oh, another singer I think of is Bono. Again, one of those incredible vocalists. So, you know, I'm sitting here trying to think of words to describe his music and and his abilities and it's it's impossible to describe. So I reached out to him a couple months ago, or maybe it was six weeks ago, because not only am I a huge fan, but it really wasn't about me being a big fan. I did think that he would have an interesting story to tell, giving his perspective on social media, because if you do look at him on social media or sort of see his presence, there isn't much going on. Um, and I found that interesting. Because I do think, back to sort of like the theme of the show, social media is dramatically impacting our lives, specifically artists' lives. And of course, the platform like Instagram and Facebook does quote-unquote connect people, but it is a very confusing platform for people um, like artists. I'm confused by it sometimes. Of course, I use it, but... I really have, this podcast came out of my confusion and wanting to talk to other artists about how they're handling social media and what to do with this thing. This it's almost like we all have a very unique relationship with it. And I don't think we totally understand the impact. And I, I certainly think about it and I talk about it a lot with guests. And I thought 
it would be worthwhile talking to Jimmy about it. And I'm so grateful and so blessed that he took the time to talk with me about it. So, and I guess my last point before the conversation, it's not always about talent. And I think especially now more than ever with social media, you don't necessarily have to have a great voice or write a great song to get attention. You may just have to, you know, show off your body or show off your ass. And it just, that's really not what true artistry is about. And to me, Jimmy and his band, ours, represents true artistry, true mastery, true craft, following your dream, not even necessarily following your dream, just following that inner passion that sort of makes you feel like you have to write music or you have to sing these songs. So anyway, I'm so blessed that he took the time to talk with me. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Um. He, by the way, has four shows coming up at the end of the year. He's playing on the 29th of November with his band, Ours, on November 29th. By the way, that's spelled O-U-R-S. He's in New York on the 29th, Chicago, December 1st, Dallas, December 4th, and I'll be at the show in Los Angeles on December 8th. Last but not least, I thought just to sort of, again, put into context, because again, my words probably aren't really putting into context how talented he is. I thought I would play one of his songs before the conversation. And by the way, a lot of the music or all the music that I play throughout the conversation is from his band. But as I was driving home preparing to talk to him, I was listening to the song Broken from his second record called Precious. And I was listening to it over and over again. And I hadn't heard that song in years. I mean, it probably been like 10 years since I'd listened to it. And I just was playing it probably three or four times in my car before I spoke to him. I was just reminded, oh my God, I, I can't believe how incredibly talented this guy is. And I can't believe still a lot of people don't know about him. So I thought it would be appropriate to lead the conversation with Jimmy by playing the song that I was listening to in my car before I talked to him. So... Um, again, as always, super stoked for you all to be listening to the show. I've had incredible support. This podcast is coming up onto, uh, coming up on the one year anniversary, about another month away. So as always, if you dig the show, please share it with people, maybe write a review on iTunes or Google. I'm just trying to bring more awareness to the impact of social media, specifically on artists and sort of just talk about it and try to figure it all out because, of course, it's not going away. But I do think it's dramatically impacting our lives. So I'll leave you with that. As always, thanks so much for listening. Hope you enjoy the conversation this week with Jimmy Necco from the band Ours. This first song you'll be hearing is called Broken, off the record, Precious. It's not your fault they pushed Thank you. 
First of all, I'm you, no you, you have no idea how much of a fan I've been. And I was just listening to Broken on the way home and I was just sort of like, holy shit. I, I just, I haven't listened to that song in a long time. And just the vocals on that thing are just ridiculous. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I mean, believe I'm not, I'm not, I'm sure <laughs> I didn't, I didn't want you to call just so I could tell you how great of a singer you are, but I just, uh, um, oh, no, I appreciate it. Um, yeah. You know, it's, um, it's nice to hear. I don't. I don't ever, for a second, let it yeah. affect me in any way because it's, I. It's so difficult to do that. I'm. I'm just always more focused on whether or not I can do it each day. So, you know, if I was able to do it at one point, I don't really. I don't really have the gloating. Yeah. Um, well, the thing. The thing is, you know, Chris Cornell's record just came out uh, or they just released live from the artist's den and i was at that show and i remember and you know like he's obviously one of the better best singers of all time but there were also a lot of points in this show where he was off key and you know he, he wasn't singing completely in rhythm with matt and i'm not saying this in any sort of critical way i think the point is is that you know there's a huge i mean there's still you're a human being and you can't sing like that every single day and you have your bad moments and you you're out of key sometimes and so the fact that you're able to capture those moments where you sound like you do I'm just you've got to I have to say something or you have to be really proud of those moments because I'm sure there's a lot that goes into singing and sounding like that it's it's years and years and years of conditioning you know and then you get to a point of where I guess you can kind of do it a bit um, I'm gonna say easily, but you know, you get into a groove, and um, 
but you know, as, as the time goes on, it's easier to fall out of those grooves, you know? Yeah. So you got to build it back up. I, I think on this new record that we have coming out, I, I probably have pushed myself the hardest I've ever in my life. Yeah. Even, even harder than those, those first two records and the one that came out in, in I think 2008. Yeah. Wow. That, that was the um, Mercy record. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that was intense to sing too. So, I mean, there's a you know, there's a few things I want to talk to you about, but just right now, what's the latest with the band? And I just listened to the new single that came out, um, which freaking sounds. It came out sometime, I think, this month, right? It could be pretty pain. Yep, that's the one. Yeah, freaking yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's that's from two records ago. Oh wow! Well, it, I feel like it just it said 2019. Yeah, I just did a um, I did a single mix of it because I felt like. I just felt like the record was overlooked, like people didn't know about it. Yeah. That record, we kind of, the way that we released it and the way that we made it, um, was kind of unfinished in a sense. So I just wanted to complete a mix on it and put it out as if it was new, because it is new. It is a new mix. Yeah, I just felt like it was an overlooked moment that we should um, showcase. In November of 2018, Called New Age Heroin. Okay. Uh, which I, you know, I think some of the best things that we've done to date. It's just difficult, difficult getting people, you know, to know about them. And and those two specifically, like the Boxer and New Age Heroin, it's, it's part of a three-song record series. Okay. So I'm working on the final one now, and we're going to really push the final one. But the first two, leading up, they didn't have much promotion or anything. Yeah. i 
It's funny because, you know, I reached out to you maybe six weeks ago about talking to you about sort of the impact of social media. And I, I didn't realize we're the same age, but I, I looked at, I just, I find your story and whatever you feel comfortable sharing very interesting because I think Napster and Spotify, we'll start with Napster, had a huge impact, I'm sure, on your career. And then I do feel like social media is sort of like this sort of second wave that's, you know, technology dramatically impacting uh, yeah. art, artistry. And I think, you know, you were signed, I believe, with DreamWorks. Yeah. And, you know, you have two records that come out in 90, 91 and 92. Or, yeah. or two, yeah. 2001 and 2002 or 91? Yeah, 2001 and 2002. Yeah. Sorry, my bad with the years. 2001, 2002. And then there's like a six-year break uh, till the next record. And I'm sure you were dealing with the impact of uh, the label probably folding or the impact of Napster. I mean, what was sort of going on? Yeah. DreamWorks was kind of disintegrating Okay. as a label. And so we were getting shuttled around. Uh, I went to Geffen, uh, Rufus Wainwright and I, we, we got, went over to Geffen. Okay. And some of the more rock artists um, went to Interscope, like Jimmy Eat World. Sure. AFI, Papa Roach, bands like that. So then that was 2003. They were trying to figure out what they were going to do. And they decided to keep me and allow me to um, basically start making my record. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a long, a long story, but um, so I won't bore you with. But the, a new, new president took over from for Geffen and I knew her back from Epic Records when they were trying to sign me. I really liked her and she, I went and met with her and she needed to figure out for the company whether or not to drop me or to keep me. And um, I was trying to get her to drop me because they had to buy me out for a large sum of money. Right. And um, But they wouldn't do that. So <laughs> instead they just allowed me to begin, you know, to, to start making my record myself. And I said, the only person I will make a record with at this moment in time is Rick Rubin. So if, if you can figure out a way to make that happen, logistically, it, it wasn't a problem whether or not he wanted to do it. We were old friends and he'd been you know, talking about doing the record forever. Right. Um, it was just a matter of logistically making it happen. So I started to make the record. Uh, I think I worked for about a week or so. And then I got a call from Rick saying, I have great news. I'm going to make your record. By the time we got around to that, it was around 2004. Started to demo things out. Um, I went out by him and did the Spider-Man song mm -hmm. um, that Chris wrote, Chris Cornell wrote. And did that. And then a few months later, that was around um, April or May of 2004. Then in September, we began to make um, Mercy. And that was, it didn't really take us that long to make it. It was about a two year process to make it. And then we began touring because we weren't sure where we were going to put it out because Geffen had spent all the money to make it, but they didn't want to put it out. Why not? Just uh... Because it, in that time already, they, it changed hands again and there was a new president. Okay. And that, that guy didn't really want to 
deal with any sort of um, alternative or rock bands or anything like that. He just wanted to deal with pop music. I think, you know, like No Doubt and um, yeah. uh, that's like Gwen Stefani was really doing well and um, Fergie, like all oh, that's a Black Eyed Peas. He just wanted to really focus on more pop music. Yeah. Um, that was more his, you know, his, his lane. So that was okay. So they allowed um, Columbia and Rick Rubin, American Columbia, to, to take the record. So I, I signed with Columbia Records for Mercy, and that took some time, you know, working through all those logistics. And then they were rebuilding their whole company. Rick had taken over. You know, anybody that makes a, a record with Rick will tell you that it takes a long time. Yeah. Um, not because for any other reason, but you just take your time. You, you just, you know, you work on it until it's, you feel great about it. That's all. And he, he's doing a bunch of things at once. So sometimes his, his schedule's a little tough to get around to listening to things. But he did, and he, he always knew what was up. He was connected to it. It's not like he was absent from the project, but... You know, he had a bunch of things going on. So it took time to, you know, it took us a year to master it as an, you know, just to give you an example, because we'd master it. I would get the master back. I would I'd send it to Rick and then I'd wait for him to listen. And sometimes it was like two weeks, three weeks before he would listen. And then he would give notes and we would master it again. We mastered the record 10 times. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, just because we're still doing dynamic moves, you know, we're still... It's kind of tricky. What what happened was he he wasn't um, wasn't always available during mixing, so the mixes weren't sounding complete as far as dy dynamic jumps. So sure. in mastering, we were still technically doing a lot of volume rides and things like that on choruses and that yeah. kind of thing. I mean, I think you're bringing up an interesting point. I mean, there's so many things I could ask, but there is this process to making music and it's um especially if you're in a band and i think two things i'm thinking of did you ever feel as though you know rock music i feel like bands just don't really exist anymore i mean obviously they do clearly they do but i do feel like rock music you know has a sort of had a hard time finding its way and it's still having a hard time to sort of find its way yeah. I mean, do, uh, do you relate to that at all? Because I'm sure back then, um, I mean, what what were you sort of juggling back then and, and, and finding your way as an artist, especially where it just feels like pop and hip hop really sort of took off? Yeah. Well, it's been an interesting road. It's been a tough road. I'm super grateful and I've been blessed at the same time, but it's just been a tough road it's all about timing you know yeah. and I, I signed in 97 the dreamworks our first record didn't come out i mean i started writing those songs you know everywhere anywhere from like 1991 up until 97 so i signed then wrote a bunch of new songs for that record that record took four years but because that was more the politics of the label and them not being happy with me um and that's distorted lullaby yeah. Okay. So, so you know, when I signed to DreamWorks, I, I kind of saw the um, the iceberg coming I got, with Napster and all that and the technology. And I'd said to my A and R guy, I, I said, I think we're going to be in trouble, man, with 
with the downloads and everything, and we really need to get this record done. And he said, I don't think that's going to affect us. Yeah. <laughs> One of the biggest guys in the music business. So that'll give you an idea as to part of why the, it collapsed. One of the biggest guys, you know, didn't think it was going to affect us. <laughs> How it is that crazy? That's insane. So, and I was a kid, you know, I was 23 years old, and but I was, I, you know, keeping an eye on what was going on, and it was obvious that we were not going to be able to stop that technology, and we shouldn't. But you know, there are lots of conflicts with that because yeah. the tech, the technology that sells the CD burners or the computers where people are downloading stuff on uh, and all that stuff, it, you know, a company like Sony, their electronics company is in, you know, war with potentially the their record labels and all that. So uh, it was all fascinating to me to watch, say, isn't anybody going to do anything? But they waited and they sat on their hands for too long. And then, you know, by the time they got around to, to doing something with Napster, uh, you know, there were just so many changes. By the time my record came out, my first one, record sales have, had already seriously declined in a big, big way. And then we really watched it happen pretty quickly. Yeah. For, you know, for big artists, not necessarily for me, but for really big artists. You know, people like, you know, the, the biggest uh, of the big going, people who would sell hundreds of thousands and millions of records to like 30,000 records. Wake me up wise by morning. I want to breathe the day. This is my fun.
honestly, I mean, you know, everybody can be a Monday morning quarterback, but I'm telling you that I was watching it going, okay, so these are going to be the last three genres selling records, rap, country, and pop. Right. Um, Just because of the cultures. Country, there's a lot of music sold across this country, country music. There's a lot of fans out there. They have a whole community. They keep their community alive down in Nashville. They, they support their music community. Everybody's super sensitive times to say anything. So I got to be careful what I say. Um, I get but it. But a lot of people across the country still didn't know how to steal music. They didn't have computers. Yeah. Even though our fan base, the tricky thing was that our fan base were kind of intelligent, music seeking people. Mm-hmm. Um, fans from Radiohead and U2, and like we have a lot of those kinds of fans. And a lot of them are pretty bright as far as you know, their, their knowledge of the bands that they're into and they're savvy, they're savvy people. Our genre in a sense was kind of the first to really go crashing down yeah. because, um, is because we're mainly like in the, like in the, not the art world, but in the, in the more artist artsy, I don't say artistic, it's, but it's more artsy kind of music. It's not pop music. It's not rap. And everything started crashing down and the labels became desperate, you know, about what they're going to do. They started to basically just sign younger people who would be OK with them because they don't care for the most part. I say a blanket statement for the, for the most part. And normally we can't generalize, but I can give a, a just about complete generalization I say that the record company people, they don't care about the art, the music. There's a small percentage of them who do, yeah. but it's a, it's a business. That's the end of it. So it, do, it doesn't matter if you have, um, you know, you too, if you have Whitney Houston, whoever it was, as far as a great talent, they're not selling records, move on to the, move on to the, to the, um, to the young people who are going to uh, let us basically sign these deals with them where we can take a big portion of their income. They moved over beyond just records. They moved over to live shows and merchandise, publishing and all that. And when you're young, you don't have a record deal. You know, you just look at it like, okay, well, that's the way that it is. So there's a whole wave of us who just weren't interested in the new model of the record deal yeah all the american idol people and all those television people who did that they got to sign a contract long before they get through any rounds that basically they they sign everything away long before they do anything and people are happy to do it because they don't have anything so Mm -hmm. they're like oh well at least i'll be in the game yeah and you know my perspective on tech and social media i i never want to come across as complaining because we have a lot to be grateful for as artists. I have a lot to be grateful for. You do. And, you know, technology certainly makes recording so much easier now and in many regards. And, you know, I don't want to bore too many people, but, you know, you can have a drummer in Alaska and do a drum track for you. And then, and then it's, I mean, it's just, there's so many, and it's with Pro Tools and Logic, it's just so much easier than it used to be. However, 
On the other hand, I, I just think technology, especially social media, has cost people jobs. A&R people aren't working. PR people aren't working like they used to. They expect the band to sort of do all the work themselves. Um, and I just there's only 24 hours in a day. And I think about Led Zeppelin, U2 in the 90s or 80s. I mean, they just they basically recorded music and their, their sort of team did all the bullshit. And I say bullshit yeah. because compared to making music, it often feels like bullshit. So yeah. how do you now um, sort of deal with that and, and juggle that? And, and, you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. I mean, what, so what are your thoughts on all of that? Well, we're going to have to figure out how to do it because um, it's part of why I've, it's a big part of why I've just gone underground <laughs> over the last bunch of years because I have a I have a, a a big issue with it. I have a fundamental issue with all of it. I really do. I think that certain aspects of it are amazing, like you said, they really are. But let's let's break it down in a, in a you know a couple categories. There's the category of like um, humanity. And what it's doing, which is a, a big conversation, right? Sure. And you know, and then like our career and what and our everyday, what we're supposed to do, what they say we're supposed to do, and and all the pressures to do it. Um, I don't believe in it. Kind of the end. Yeah. Well. I, <laughs> um, yeah. I think that it's it's a problem. It gives people too much access that they're not, they're not supposed to have. It's not, it's not a right. It's not a right to have access to just anybody that you want. And people think that it is, and they, they come to expect that. And I've been saying it for a long time that the, the bottom is gonna break on it. Everybody, you know, when it started, again, and this, I'm gonna sound like a jerk, but people who don't have anything, or have people who didn't have a record deal, weren't getting any attention, had a big heart on about social media because they felt like they can do something and immediately get attention. Yeah. I never had the heart on. I feared it because hmm. I understand the dynamic. You give that kind of access, you lose a big part of yourself, you don't get that part of yourself back, and eventually you get swallowed yeah. By all of it, it eats you alive. So people might say, oh, okay, well, that's a bit traumatic and blah, blah, blah. But it's not. It's it's the way that it is. Some people can navigate their way through it and they don't care. They can be cold and find their way to make it work for them and they can ignore all the negativity and, and all that. But I am not supposed to, on a daily basis, I'm not supposed to be spending my time promoting I'm supposed to be making the music. I write the music. I rehearse. Um, we go, we do shows. We can do special events where we do meet and greets and signings and in stores and all that. I love all that. I, I love to be able to see people and connect with them and talk to them. I'll stay there all night talking to people. Anybody will tell you that. That's not the thing. It's, it's this idea that people expect to have this connection and then it's an immediate gratification and what's happening in return 
from it is that that's becoming enough. So they're not coming to shows. They're listening to everything on Spotify for free. They're not coming to shows. So now, how do we keep making the music? Record companies aren't signing artists like us really anymore. They're not spending the money. They don't have the money because it's gone away because the ecosystem has been destroyed. So, you know, and then what you have is the people who are out touring. Now they're a ticket that should be $50 the most is $200, $280 for a concert. And so, yes, you're, you're making the money back somewhat on the back end of it. And you can, you can use the streaming companies now to get your music out there, to, to just get a lot of, you know, views and streams and listens and all that stuff so that, you know, hopefully you get them to come to your show. But it's not translating entirely like that. People think that it is, but it's not. Anybody who's who's listening can basically vouch for this. I know people have 20,000 followers on their Instagram, 50,000 followers, right? They go and do a show and three people show up. Totally. Yep. That's not normal. <laughs> that 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 doesn't weigh out. If you had 50,000 people on your mailing list who signed up because they they wanted to get information from you because they're interested in seeing you play, that when you play a show in that state, and it's your only show that you've played in seven years, you would think that if you had, say, 8,000 people on a mailing list in that territory, you'd think maybe 500 would show up. <laughs> it's, not, it's not translating. They're getting their fix by just, you know. No, it's a, it's a really interesting point. I was thinking about when OK Computer came out, it wasn't enough for, for me to just listen to the CD that came out. You know, I, I remember Paranoid Android, the video came out, and then that, that like perked my curiosity even more. I'm like, what the fuck is this? It's an animated cartoon video to some song that's almost like three songs, and it's seven minutes long. And, and then I seek them out because I want to go see them when they come out to L.A. And there's a relationship that I actually feel like I'm building with them for eight, nine months while that record is being promoted. Uh-huh. And you're, you're really bringing up an interesting point because it's almost like the relationships now are so superficial and meaningless and they, and they, they just want to sort of follow you on Instagram or Twitter, but that's not really building a relationship. Yeah, it's it's weird because people may view it as, as it is now that it's more equal. And it's like, well, I can get in touch with you, you can get in touch with me, but that's not how the ecosystem yeah. <laughs> works. And, and, and it's, again, I, I'm, just, I'm probably going to sound like an asshole by saying it, but it's not... It's not our job to, you know, get on and personally talk to 50,000 people a day. We can, you know, send out a press release or something like that or an announcement. But it's, you know, it can can be taken, what I'm saying can be taken the wrong way naturally. and, And people can be like, what an asshole. But Look, they're great aspects of it. They really are. It's just not for me. My biggest problem with it, really, is that the 
the record companies and everybody's running in circles. They're running scared. They don't know what the hell to do. So they're not going to sign. They're looking at artists numbers. You know, you can have one of the greatest singers in the world. They got 200 people on the Instagram. The record companies are basically like, oh, we're not interested. Naturally, they're going to sign who's popular so that they could jump onto it and make a bunch of money off of somebody else who's been able to cultivate their audience. That's the game, but we're in a catch 22. Yeah. You can't get the promotion unless you have the numbers, but you can't get the numbers unless you have the promotion, basically. Unless you do something wacky that goes viral. <laughs> right. You're some, you know, then it's some, you know, fad or something that's going to come and go. So how do you just, how do, do um, you know, just talented bands with a great record get people to give a shit? Yeah. Well, did you, did you ever feel... Or did a label come up to you over the last six years or present an opportunity of some sort where they wanted you to be more interactive online? And uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That, and it's, it's just nauseating to hear. Every new manager comes along. He wants to talk about, oh, what are your numbers like? What are your, you know, what are your socials like? What are your socials like? Just fuck off. You know, like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't care. Like, that's the bottom line. I'm sitting here today telling you I don't care. I'm I'm trying to make a great record every time and we're just trying to go out and crush it and put on a great show for people and move people's spirit. Everything else I don't care about. I don't care about the labels, the managers, their business, their bullshit. I'm out. I'm out of the whole game. We're just going to put our record out, we're going to go out, we're going to crush it. That's all I care about. What you need to 
should expect of you you know i mean or i don't even know if it's irony but that's really what you're here to be doing you're not here to be doing all the bullshit that you talk about you're here to that's politician shit yeah you know sit here and uh, you know do the pr every day with uh, again maybe that's arrogant but I, i i don't have the time to do it i have I came in the studio a few years ago. I had 200 songs to record. We've gotten through about 70 or 80 of them. It's taken, you know, it's taken like seven years. And it's, it's takes a lot. It takes a lot out of it. So wait, yeah, that's, that's you, how I want to spend my time. You have 200 songs that you're recording over the last like five, six, seven years? Yeah. Well, and these are all songs that you wrote? Mm-hmm. And so what's, what's the... Have anybody, has anybody, these, so these haven't obviously been released. We released 10 of them okay. last November. Okay. Oh, right. Yes. On uh, the New Age Heroin record. Yeah, but that's like 290 more songs to go. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, have a, do you have a plan here I, that you're thinking? I have um, 25 right now that are just about finished. 
that we're looking at for the next record that we're trying to get down to 20. Okay. I have another, I have to look at the, I have to look at my list, but <laughs> another 15 to 20 that we rec- started to record, but we didn't finish um, because I just didn't feel like they belong with these songs. I have a whole other bunch that I wrote for a, uh, another band called The Rebel. I have a whole record that I'm making for a, a girl named Hannah Gernand. Um, and that's been about 15 songs. I wrote another, even beyond the ones I had, over the last while I wrote and co-wrote about another 10 or so with uh, another friend of mine that I'm making a record for and with. Um, many of them were his babies. He came in with them, but I, I helped him finish them. So that's, you know, they're part of the, the pile of songs that I've done. So technically, you know, I, I probably still have, um, if I add all those up, it's around 80 or so, 70, 80 that we've done. But some of them, like I said, were um, my buddy's songs. So that didn't chip away at my list at all, but it adds to what I've gotten done, if you know yeah. what I mean. Do you, um, the thing about a, a record label you know, they often have the money to, I mean, you know better than I would, because um, when I did shows, it was just me independently. But, I mean, do you miss, because I know you have like four shows coming up at the end of the year. Would you love to be able to be at a spot where you could go on the road for like nine months? And because I think that's where a label could be, could be helpful. So how are you? Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, we we really believe in this record that we're about to put out. And I'd like to have a proper cycle with it. I'd like to keep it going for two years, a good two year cycle yeah. and take it around the world. That's part of also why we're taking a, a bit of our time with it because it needs to have everything of, of what we, my first three records, I can re-record any of those songs, but it's very difficult to do anything with the songs because they're all the ma- you know they're owned by the major labels. Okay. So part of this time was about cataloging and getting basically almost starting over and pretending like I didn't even have those songs. That was you know it's thirty six songs from those records. Um, pretend like I didn't have them. Start over and build the content to where we could do whatever we wanted with it. And that's a little tricky because you don't want to repeat yourself, but you don't, you know, if you drift too far away from what it is that you do, then um, being at a lot of people haven't heard those records of mine. So I would like them to hear them, but I can't, I can't do anything about it. I can't get them to promote it or do anything. So in a sense, like we have to make all new records, but you know, you get to a new place, you're in a different place. I'm not in the same place I was when I made Sort of Lullabies um, or Mercy. You just you go through changes. So um, it's been tricky to um, to try to have a bit of, um, without looking back, but a bit of what would be my approach, my normal approach to have that sound in there, um, but still continue to grow, you know, not look back. I don't like looking back much. 
who I'm, um, I know you got to, I don't want to take too much time, but I'm just thinking a few other things. I love your passion for how you live your life in the sense that you're not going to change. You're passionate about what you believe in. And I think people are sort of scared to take a stance. They sort of want to like appease everybody because they're worried about offending somebody. And it's, it's, I, I, who has been helpful for you over the last like five to 10 years or people that you look up to or people have been giving you advice. I mean, I get the sense this is how you are, but I'm sure you've talked to people uh, that have sort of helped you out throughout all this. Yeah. Um, well, here's the deal. Um, I'm often alone hmm. <laughs> in the, in a lot of it. I have um, April Barrow, who's been with me since 2003. She's still in the band um, and she's a great, just great everything, really, to tell you the truth. She's, she's a great person. She's um, she's super smart. She's talented. A great partner to, to have in the band, basically, with me. Um, but a, a lot of it, essentially, what I mean when I'm alone is the, the it's all in my head. The songs are in my head. The ideas are in my head. And I have a I always have a great team of people who are support, supportive and um, kind people through the years. The band is, you know, the band always, I've, I've picked the band members of people that I, I genuinely love. It's, it wasn't always about, okay, this person's a great player. It's like, man, I really love this person. We'll work it out. We'll figure it out. That's always how I, I built the band. It wasn't like I saw somebody playing. I was like, oh my God, we have to have this person. It was never that way, ever. Yeah. For better for worse i don't know if that's a good or a bad thing but that's the way that it is so i've always had my buddies in the band and so there's never been a lack of support from the band or a lack of love or understanding we've had great relationships through the years no fighting nobody was ever a yes person as much as people on the outside could say well yeah well they just yes you to death that's not the case there's just so much love that's great. From them that um, they trusted me and, and they, if you have to see it all unfold to really get it, but I have such a bizarre fire and energy that I'm going every day on some new idea and, and you know, I, I hear it all in my head. So they've contributed in many, many ways through the years, the band members, um, and they they stay on the ride for as long as they can in their lives, and then every once in a while, it's they reach their stop. You know, <laughs> it's time to get off, and they may jump back on another time in life. But with with that, I've had April Bauer around, um, a, a, a guy named Chris playing with us, playing bass for a few years, and he was very helpful. Um, the early stages of of this record of Spectacular Sight and New Age Heroin, very helpful. He, um, he sat with me every day for about a year as I was writing the songs. And he would just kind of sit and listen. And, and uh, when I would get confused about something, if I had two different ways I could do it mainly, it wasn't like, okay, show me what to do here. It was like, do you like this? Do you like this? Hmm. Isn't that shortage on ideas for some reason in my brain? Um, it's an overload of them. So often that's the questions that get asked 
to the band, like, okay, do you like this way? Do you like this way? And then there's, there's a period where um, there's clearly space for them to contribute. And I, I really, I do my best to, to leave space here and there as well. So of April and Chris, Static was kind of in and out over the last few years. He was the guitar player um, for a bit. Um, but he's got his hands in so many things, he's, he's really busy. So he didn't get to spend that much time with us on, on this round. Race, my, my buddy who's been in the band forever, you know, I've known him since the second grade, he's my son's godfather. He, you know, over the last bunch of years, he's just been living his life, having a great time living his life, not being in the band. We're as close as we ever were, there's nothing changed there. So he's not really around, he's living on the West Coast now. So basically, as far as, um, you know, my committee, mm-hmm. um, a big part of that, funny enough, was my son. My son was a, somebody who is really, he's a bright kid. Um, I say kid, he's, he's 26 now, but wow. um, very bright, very insightful. You know, he, he wants his dad to do well. So he's got no problem telling me, yeah, you fucking up. What are you doing? Don't do that. Yeah. That's it was great before. Why are you changing it? Um, so funny enough, I've kind of um, turned to him for a lot of questions with um, different songs, different sequences. Do you like this one? Do you like this one? What do you think? Should we put this one first? What that kind of thing? Um, and also then two other people, my buddy Robert Kagnoff and. Uh, my buddy Brian Grenand, just two friends of mine who I also see as very bright people and creative people. And I've bounced a lot off of them over the last few years. They've been a tremendous help. It's, it's basically the tricky thing is that they can't tell me where to go or anything that they can just wait <laughs> to see where I want to go. Yeah. And, and um, say, I liked it better before. Hey, you know what could be cool if you take this, you know, part over here, like that kind of thing. Um, but they have to kind of see me exhaust myself first. <laughs> well, there was. I remember reading a, a story about Peter Gabriel where he literally spent, I think, a whole week on just one keyboard sound, and he apparently is very um, precise when it comes to. Uh, his records. And I, I, I recall Jeff Buckley actually, I read an article about him where he also took his time with sounds. And and I think that's a beautiful thing. I mean, we live in this day and age now where we're always in a rush to, you know, put out the single or, you know, consume a show on Netflix as quickly as possible. And I, I don't, I mean, I, and I don't think it's, it's about being scared to die. I mean, I, I understand sort of this attitude about trying to get in as, in as much as you can because we're only here for a short amount of time and we really cherish our moments. I don't think that's what's going on. I feel like it's sort of this technological pull on people's psyche where they feel like they have to fit in as much as they can. And it's, it's not really satisfying. And so as you're telling these stories about the amount of time you're taking, I, I admire that because that's just, about enjoy there is something really um special intimate about the creative process and why rush through it yeah 
I've been this way since I was younger, um, since I started. I was never, ever in a rush to put out something bad, ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and the thing is, like, you get together with some antsy people who want thing, everything yesterday. But I guess if you're trying to follow a trend, then, yeah, you got to hurry up and get it out because the trend's going to pass. But I'm not, I'm not following any trends. Or, or styles or anything like that music that there's no reason for me to rush anything yeah uh, so we take our time i don't tune a single vocal either hmm. in our process like i won't this it'll never happen not at least not our stuff or my solo stuff you know there's there's things you know i guess there's a, there's a thing to the sound with it that you can use it as an effect if you want to here and there and maybe at some point who knows it will it will call for that, but as far as tuning it and saying, I, I quickly just tune it, put it out, whatever. Like, why bother? Like, yeah. what what else do you have to do? If you're a singer, what else do you have to do? But you gotta just let somebody tune your vocal just so that you can go fuck off on social media. <laughs> I want to tell you that if that's what you're doing, if you're a musician and that's what you're doing and you can hate my music now for this and hate me, but you're fucking up because that's not what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to spend your time, get your vocal right, not tuned, sing it over and over until it's finished and keep the human element in it and be fucking proud of your work so that when you put it out, it's not about finishing it quickly so that you can get it out and try to get some success with it. The success is getting the vocal right, motherfuckers. Get the vocal right. Stop worrying about social media and all this bullshit. Sing your vocal, don't tune your vocal. To live each moment like the next won't come Forgive the worst and see the best in everyone But there is trouble when you can't look in their eyes I'm only moving cause the feeling there is right record on my phone the quality is so good on the phone <laughs> that I was able to transfer it into 
the sessions and use elements of things that I've recorded on my phone. We've combined all different kinds of, you know, recording mediums on this record. No limitations. Some of it was analog stuff. We transferred it in. Some of it was off my phone. Some of it's off a video camera. Um, it's just like, if it sounds good and it sounds right, don't limit yourself. Yeah. I mean, that's fucking amazing. I remember 2000, I was making my first record and this guitar player, Jeff Coleman, walks into the studio and he hands me distorted lullabies. And you know, he, he brought up, or actually maybe I was over at his house, you know, he's talking about Bono and Chris Cornell. Uh, I mean, I hear Jeff Buckley. Um, and I mean, that record will go down as one of my top 15, 20 records of all time, you know, up with like super unknown dirt, never mind. Okay. Computer distorted lullaby that, I, I mean, misery head sometimes as I wander, I mean, I, I'm a yoga teacher and I, I wish I finally was able to play as I wander in a class because a lot of the music is sort of, you know, pretty rock. And while somebody's hanging out in Warrior Two, it might not be appropriate. So I was finally like stoked that I felt like, yeah, I can play that song in class. So incredible. I love what you're doing. Thank you. That first record will go down as being, in my mind, one of the greatest records ever. And I'm curious. When did you know or get the sense, and you know, I don't know about your upbringing or anything, where you were sort of like, God, I've got a really fucking good voice. And I mean, it's one thing to just have a really great voice, but then you also have a really cool vibe and you also have a style. So when, when did you get the sense that music was, was something that you should be doing? I think it was probably around... Um I started to play the guitar first. I was 13 years old. And, um, you know, I, I practiced like all the guitar things and trying to be a, you know, be like Randy Rhodes and Brian May and stuff. And, um, but then something just shifted that I started to work on songs. And, um, you know, I don't know. I've gone through, I've gone through phases with it, to tell you the truth. Like, when I was around, I guess it was probably 16, I felt like, okay, I really need to to dig in and take this seriously with my voice. So I put a lot of work in and I started to really feel clicking around 18. And then, but shortly after that, then I started to feel really silly about being in a band. Hmm. Just the idea of it, I just, it felt so narcissistic to me, just silly. Like what are we like what are we doing? Like what is this whole show about? That we have to get up there and like um what's missing in our lives or something that we need this this attention or something or people to tell us that we're we're good or something. What's going on? Because that's the way that that band felt at that time. So I had to stop playing for a little while and rediscover a reason to play music. And um and that was when I was about just about twenty one years old. I took a break from it and then I rediscovered a couple of years later my love for it after a lot of um, a lot of meditating and a lot of yoga and a lot of exercising. I just started to have this peace about playing and it, it for me it really became about the um, just being lifted, moving the spirit 
through the song and, and doing something in the performance that it was like therapy for me. I wasn't even sure if I would go out and play in front of anybody or not, if it was worth it. But I, I started to find this, this thing in music again by playing it. And I started to really work on the songs to, to try to get them to a place of, of doing that work, you know, where you can listen to the, the song and by the time you get to the end of it, you feel, you feel transformed somehow, you know, like Paranoid Android, you know, perfect kind of, example of just the power of great music um so around 23 or so i think it clicked in for me where i felt like okay this is i don't know if i'm good at it or not but i'm gonna do everything i can to to be so that's still where where i'm at all these years later that's how i look at it that's how i feel about it so um like I said, I don't look back much, so it's it's hard for me to it's hard for me to see it the way that you know you're talking about it with the record. I wanted it to be I took it very, very serious at the time to try to I had a few records in mind that I felt like, okay, these are the greatest records ever made. I gotta I gotta like I gotta be up there with them. Yeah. Sort of otherwise has to be it can't just be, you know, a throwaway record. I, I need to and I honestly don't know if I got there or I didn't get there, but I, I, every record I just continue to try to get there. So that's really my honest view on it. From everything I, I've, we've talked about here, where I probably sound like um, you know, a brat, the, the truth is I'm very, very humbled by the process. I, I just I, I just wanted to be good at it, that's all. The Something else changed over the last few years again now, because the, for a long time, I was like, okay, I just want to be great at this. The, the last few years, it's become, all right, I want to be great at this, but I want to have a good time. Hmm. <laughs> I want to have a good time, and I want the audience to have a good time. I really do. I genuinely want to make people feel better. That's really why um, I want to go out and play. I, I just want to feel that energy of connecting with people and... Um, hoping that the music lifts their spirit and takes them higher. It, you know, it sounds all serious and hippie-ish, but I, we, you know, myself, the band, we just want to go out and have a blast playing. It, uh, go ahead. Sorry. So, so that's it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not even still not convinced that I know how to do any of it. Well, just, it's not hippie-ish at all. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you go. But I, I was just thinking, I went to see Pearl Jam about five, six years ago at the LA sports arena and there are a few frontmen, Bono, Eddie Vedder, where they have the power to influence a room of 20,000 people. And oh, yeah. it's, it's powerful. And music has that power. And I feel like you answered your question. You, know, you, you sort of talked about earlier, gosh, it feels so narcissistic to go up on stage and sing my songs and people are looking at me. And the reality is, is that you have that gift also. And your music, and I can just tell talking to you, and, and this sort of goes back to social media, and I'll end it, you know, we, you know, there's so many influencers out there. You have the power to influence in a powerful, passionate, artistic, creative way. Your music does, you, you as a person does. I mean, you have that, that stage presence. 
whether it's in front of 20 people at a coffee shop or 20,000 people at Staples Center. So I, I hope that you keep putting out freaking music, those 200 songs. I hope you fucking put them out because I still meet people that don't know who ours is and who, do, who, who you are. And I'm like right away have to send them your music because you're uh, easily one of the best singers, rock performers, artists that, that I've ever listened to. And I think uh, people need to hear your stuff. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. Yes, it's my pleasure. Um, there must have been something that I said about social media where like, oh, I could talk about this. So I appreciate you. Uh, oh, yeah, it's definitely a hot button for me. Yeah, no, I understand. <laughs> Believe me, I, I, I really relate and I, I, I appreciate your candor and, and uh, speaking your mind because I think it's important for people to really sort of hear the impact of what this is having. So, Yeah, it's, I just think, you know, there's great things about it, but all in all, this, you know, I can go on about it. I think it's creating a lot of negativity as well. Personally, it's, I think, um, I don't know, like if, if people can just start to practice kindness and um, not forget about that, then, then fuck it. The social media might be a great thing, but let's spread kindness through it. Not sociopath behavior and narcissistic behavior and all this shit and all the negativity about commenting on this or that. And, and just because you have a voice, you feel like you need to say something hmm. and comment on something and be negative about it. You know, just stop before you do it. Think about it. Think before you, you post something. Do you really need to post? Does anybody give a shit about what you're going to say? Like, you know, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> I just go go back to recording and writing your music. Sorry that you had to think about social media for the last like forty five minutes. That's okay, <laughs> uh, Jimmy. Have a great night. I really appreciate it. I, I really appreciate okay. you taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, man. Have a good night. Okay, you too. Man. Bye. We're in. We starve the things that feel. Out back The drunken waters Steal from me When they chose